Hey, welcome to another podcast with the coach Brendan Sir. So excited today. We're going to we got some really cool things planned for you. Uh, first off, our dear friend of coaching you, Bruce Pearl, the head coach of Auburn University, co-champs in the SEC this year, did as good a coaching job as I've seen in college basketball in the last 10 years. Uh, Bruce is our guest. He is one of the best teachers, the best motivators uh, in the game. And he had a Everything was stacked against him this year, and he came through and crushed it. Had a fabulous year with a terrific team of kids that played so hard, shared the ball, and played the right way. So Bruce Burrow will give us some tips on things that, as a coach, you really need to take, you know, whether you're coaching at the junior high, high school, college, or pro level. I think these things are really applied to you. And then what we're going to do is offer a little bit of a t- different twist uh, to something that we've, we're doing. Uh, everyone that comes to Coaching You, our VIP experience this year, uh, once you sign up, we allow you to be part of our Mastermind Coaching Call. Those are weekly calls where you get to ask the questions, and I answer them for you. So for people that, and coaches that want to learn and grow, these calls, the people that have signed up early for them, they're going to be entitled to like 13, 14 calls by the time we get to Coaching You. So it's become something we never did before. But I wanted to show you kind of what they're about, and I think you're really going to enjoy them. This is last week's call, our episode eight, that I think you're going to really enjoy and learn from. We have great questions. These are not my questions. I'm answering their questions, and I do it in a very authentic way. Uh, We hold nothing back from language to expertise because these are my friends that I'm talking to each week. And by signing up for Coaching You, you get to be on these calls. So Coaching You, as you know, is July 9 and 10 in Vegas. And besides all the videos and uh, the courtside seating and the pad folios and T-shirts, all that other stuff that's neat and being able to visit with our speakers, you get to be on these uh, mastermind coaching calls to learn and grow even more. So I just wanted to share that with you because I thought it would be something that you'd really get a kick out of and at the same time, hopefully learn. So we're going to go to a break. And then after that, you're going to hear the great Bruce Pearl. Fast Model Sports is the world's most versatile basketball coaching software to help power your preparation. FastModel has developed the industry's best coaching software, including the number one play diagramming and playbook software, FastDraw. FastDraw bridges the gap between whiteboarding and the digital world with an incredibly easy-to-use interface that can be used on both your computer and your iPad, providing maximum portability for your own personal play and drill database. doesn't stop there. Along with FastDraw, they have other great programs such as FastScout, which I have used, which helps coaches create clean professional sky reports customized for your team. FastModel is trusted and used by every NBA team and WNBA team and 85% of Division I college teams and over 8,000 high school and youth teams from over 75 countries around the world. In addition to a great product, they also provide basketball coaching resources through their blog and play bank, which features over 5,000 free plays and drills for their online coaching community. For access to these plays and more information, visit FastModelSports.com or follow them on Twitter at FastModel. Hey, let's take a second to tell you about one of our partners, Dr. Dish. 
Dr. Dish basketball shooting machines are the most high-tech and durable basketball shooting machines on the market today. Each shooting machine was designed specifically for high-repetition training to allow players to improve through technology. Dr. Dish offers game-like training to give hundreds of shooting reps in just minutes and to provide powerful analytics to help players improve their game. Dr. Dish has also introduced Skill Builder, which is the first of its kind of basketball shooting industry that enables coaches and players to stay connected, design and upload training exercises that combine shooting, conditioning, and ball handling into one complete workout, and instantly receive feedback on their workout, allowing for real-time adjustments and improved performance. It is without question the most innovative basketball training machine on the market. It's been the official shooting machine of Coaching You for the last two years. To learn more about Dr. Dish, log on to drdishbasketball.com or follow them on Twitter at drdishbball. So excited to have in our Coaching You podcast today uh, a, a longtime friend, Bruce Pearl, the head coach of Auburn University. Coach, welcome to podcast with the coach, how are you? Great to be with you guys today. I'm happy, happy to be with you. Doing fine, thanks. Coach, how are you doing? I'm doing great. You know, uh, the thing that's been so interesting for me uh, is that I get to talk uh, to uh, the best coaches in the world each week and uh, and learn. And so uh, I'm like you. I'm on my journey of continual learning. And we have 70,000, 80,000 listeners each week that are high school, college, and pro coaches that, and business leaders that listen. Um, and so I appreciate you doing this with them. You are a guy that I've known and coached against. One of the best coaches at the NBA or college level I ever went against. I uh, had the lucky pleasure of going against uh Bruce, what is the keys to what makes Bruce Pearl successful? Well, I'll tell you what. First of all, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I was kind of turning around on my shoulder as you were calling me one of the best you went up against because you've gone up against the best and you've been with the best. Uh, Coach, it's a really broad question. Um, We'll jump at it in in a number of different ways. First of all, um, in coaching, we are rented um, and we are leased. We are not bought and sold. And yet – the only way I think we can be successful in our profession is to jump in with both feet. Um, it is going to be a buy and sell situation. You've got to be all in. No matter where you are in your career, no matter how far up the ladder you have climbing, um, you've got to approach this job like it could be your last. Um, you've got you to gotta, you gotta jump into a community with both feet. You've got to make a difference on a college campus, you know, in a community, on a team. And I don't, And I think if you don't, you don't, no matter what, consciously, subconsciously, you're going to be holding back and you're not going to be able to make the difference um, and have the impact that you need um, to completely turn a business around or turn a program uh, around. I think the second thing that jumps out at me is my players don't care how much I know till they know how much I care. Um, it's a nice, catchy phrase, mm-hmm. but the truth of the matter is if I can be a better father than a coach – I got a chance to be able to make that connection with them. And then, and you know, you, you know, you're going to listen to your father. You're going to respect your father. You're going to love your father. Your father may not always be right. Coaches don't always have to be right. Joby Hall one time said, it's not a coach's job to make every right decision, but it is the player's job to make those decisions work. Hmm. And so I'm going to make decisions to the very best of my ability. Brad Stevens is going to make a better decision than me because he's a better coach than I am. 
But if my players have my back and they truly believe that we can make a, this piece of crap play work, we got as good a chance to make that piece of crap play work for me than the greatest coach does, you know, uh, because it's a better it's better X's and O's. So those are just a couple things yeah. that jump out at me. Yeah, no, the thing that uh, always that I always was intrigued watching you when I was in the NBA, I had a huge appreciation for what you're doing because I knew you back when you were, you know, with Tom Davis, you know, back at BC and Iowa and stuff. But when you formed your philosophy of coaching, uh, did it come from Tom? Was it from different folks put together? How'd that work out? The the absolute pace of play, and um, it's not what you it's 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 not so much um, what you do, but how you do it. Um, I had a great teacher in Tom Davis. If you're any good at anything, chances are you had a great teacher. Mm-hmm. Tom taught me the game. Therefore, fundamentally. Um, what we do is what he taught me. Now we have tweaked it, we sure. have twisted it, we've we've adjusted it, we've begged, borrowed, and steal stolen from the best. Um, but the foundation of it is is Tom Davis's fast break, point guard fast break, four out, one in, flex cut, continuity, um, and we've built off that. Um, you know, I've always been a ninety four foot believer, both in pressure. Um, and, 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 and doing disruptive as well as understanding that the hardest thing to do defensively is to get back in transition. So we've always been committed to the fast break. Tom was a great zone coach. He had great zone offense. Um, and I've taken, taken some of that. Um, we are a little bit more of a, we're a little bit more of an aggressive man to man team. Um, because I like to play a lot of players and I do, I don't, the one thing I don't like about zone is sometimes even though it can be effective and I think you absolutely need to have both. Um, Cause some teams are just better at man. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got really, everybody's got good man offense. Some teams have bad zone offense. Therefore you need to play zone because some teams aren't very good against it. But I like to extend, I like to wear people out because it fits with the strategy of playing nine or 10 guys. And that's something that I'll always be committed to. Too, and that's probably so much of what I got from Dr. Tom. Yeah. Uh, the thing that we have so many high school and assistants that listen to these podcasts, Bruce, and the thing that I think uh, that your guys do uh, so well is, besides uh, playing so hard and things like that, is that every night when you play against your teams at Auburn, Tennessee, it didn't matter really where, uh, is that you were going to get feel that pressure. Uh, when do you start practicing? And this is where I thought Tom was so effective. When do you start practicing the style of play you're going to play? Well, I mean, I think I think it's 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 part of your philosophy. It's part of your DNA. You know, Jim Calhoun used to say that you could only be great at so many aspects of the game. You know, mm-hmm. for Coach Calhoun, it was they were going to be a great fast-breaking team, a great pressing team, a great offensive rebounding team. They had certain things that UConn basketball was going to be noted for. Um, and Tom was the same way. Um, and I, But I think, Coach, that with the rule changes um, and how difficult it's going to be to trap and things like that, um, full-court pressure has become – we, we, we dictate less, you know, Bob Huggins is one of the few guys that can still do it. Um, yeah. you know, Arkansas doesn't press nearly as much. We don't press as much simply because, um, when you get out on the floor, freedom of movement, the offensive stuff, those things all take precedent. And so, um, 
the the rule changes I think have taken the press out of the game. That doesn't mean that we can't still change pace, speed you up, slow you down, um, and, it, and it's definitely something that is going to, that is in our DNA. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. I wish we had six fouls in college ball uh, so I that we too. could play better. And I wish we had a 24-second clock for the kids, too, to make better decisions and quicker decisions and stuff like Agreed. that. Agreed. Bruce, when, when, what is the thing that you look for when you're recruiting? You're one of the best recruiters in the country. When you're eyeballing these kids during the summer, what, what steps out to say this is a Bruce Pearl, Auburn-type player? Well, and, and it was interesting because you have got to upgrade the level of the talent um, in order to be able to be able to say, you know, can I can I run this offense and this offense beat Kentucky or Florida hmm. or whoever the best teams are in the league? Can I take this player and can he get it done against the best teams in the league? Don't take that player or run that offense or defense to beat the worst teams in your schedule. <laughs> and so that's number one. Now that doesn't necessarily mean it's the most talented player, uh, because I'm, one of the things I'm extremely proud of is while we have a handful of very highly recruited players at Auburn. The vast majority of our team were three and four stars, guys that nobody else wanted. They were too small. Um, they, 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 they had, they had, you know, they like, like I love sometimes coaching the land of misfit toys, guys that just are a little different. Um, but I think the one common, the one denominator, this is my son, Stephen, when Stephen joined my staff a year or two ago, he said, dad, you know, we have upgraded the town here at Auburn, just like we did at Tennessee. But the biggest difference is at Tennessee, we had tougher kids. Mm. We recruited tougher kids. If I were to encourage coaches to look for one thing out there in recruiting tail, it's really hard to make a soft kid get tougher. Uh, that gets exposed, and that just does it. Just does not translate to winning. And so, uh, I look at that, and I'm just telling you, if that kid go get a fifty-fifty ball, if he'll stick his nose in there, if he'll dive on the floor, if he'll do those things going in, you got a chance. But to try to teach him to do stuff like that that just isn't in his DNA, all you're going to do is, is expose his softness. And so that's the one, it's a one of the qualities. Yes, we like, I don't mind, I don't mind smaller, quicker guys. I, I don't like big and immobile. I, I don't. Um, but toughness, that's the best. That was the number one thing that I think we don't look for in recruiting. Um, that we need to. Yeah, you know, I, I I totally agree. I think toughness is at every level. It's a it's a change factor. I was listening to uh, Sean McVay, the young thirty year old coach of the L A Rams. Why do they let kids so young coach Bruce? But uh, I listened to him <laughs> talk the other day, and he's and he said uh, how he changed the culture out there uh, with the Rams uh, as a young guy, and he he said that everything he did in coaching was intentional. Uh, and I thought that was a terrific word for a young guy to be using. And he said that he, the biggest thing he did is he went in and he coached the human being first, the player yep. second. Comments on that? Yeah, that's great. Um, you know, I don't treat them all the same. I, I, I try to treat them fairly. Mm -hmm. And um, so you got to kind of get to know them. You got you to get to know what buttons to push. And, um, you know, that's a, you know, coaching the human being. What a great, I hadn't, you know, that's, a, I never I heard really that term. I haven't heard that term either. And yet the thing that jumps out at me is just like what I said, just coaching, you know, coaching the person, you know, finding out, you know, some guys, if you get on them in practice, they love it. Some guys, if you get them on practice, they just, they get distraught 
and they lose they lose confidence and they they fall apart. And so you know, don't coach them. Treat it's like your kids. You know, yeah. don't you don't need it. You know, you you love this one more than you love that one. No, you don't. <laughs> you love them the same. Now you may like one more than the other. You know, but you don't love them any differently. But sometimes you gotta you gotta treat them differently. But but but, but don't be afraid of treating them differently because they all have different needs and different wants and and different buttons to push. I love that. Bruce, uh, you, you, the thing that I'm so excited about is that, uh, you know, you're on the start now of a new five-year contract, which so deserved, as I said to you yesterday, you, you know, you're one of the very best. What, and I know you love Auburn and I do too, because I've been going there since I was coaching the Hawks when Charles, our friend Barkley was playing there and he was, and Charles, you know, who's our dearest friend and, you know, he loves that school like you do. And what is your vision for Auburn basketball? Coach, you know, I I want, the biggest thing I want to do is, is I just want Auburn basketball to be competitive. You know, I want it to represent on campus, um, we may not be in a position to win championships every year. <laughs> um, we just, we, we aren't. But you know what? It's not going to be a game on the schedule where you simply have to, let's just, let's not, let's just make sure we get ready to play and we play hard. As long as we do that, we'll beat Auburn. Um, you know, just, we just got to, we got, we got to avoid getting upset. Um, I want it to be a game that matters. I want it to be a game that Kentucky actually looks forward to playing mm-hmm. and, and beating that team. Um, uh, you know, whoever the best teams are in the league. Um, and so, um, and then I do want, I do want the, 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 the team to be noted for playing hard and playing physically and playing the right way and competing. Um, and you know, what's interesting coach. Um, I find this to be very, I, I, I don't know whether I learned this this year. I'm just starting to express it this year. The two teams that won the SEC this year, Tennessee and Auburn, mm-hmm. they were not the most talented teams in the league. But those are the two teams in the league that brought it every night, that played the hardest, and more than anything, did not compete. We knew who the opponent was. And so often on teams, the opponent is, is from within. There's so much infighting. You know, guys worrying about their roles and they're worrying about their shots and worrying about their playing time and, and, and competing with the coaches and everybody. Those teams can't possibly win in the arena. And if you're going to be a gladiator, and you're going to be in a in a a life or death situation, all right? You you better know who the opponent is, and 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 I think I think when I convince my team, look, they're going to lose half the time. We don't even need to win half the time. Half the time they're going to lose because they're not going to stay together because they're going to be because they're going to be that infant. Let's just and so this year's team, we 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 we, we sacrificed. We, we shared. Is your organization better because you're in the office? Do you make your team better offensively and defensively because you're on the floor? Like not even just scoring, but cutting and screening and being in the right spots and, you know, or not. That's your choice. And if we can make those choices, are you going to be an energy gain or an energy drain? Which one is it? It's your choice. And so I worry about the things that we can control. And I know that if we do those things over a period of time, 
we put ourselves in position to be successful. And that's my job as a coach is to, is to, is to do that. And then, Hey, at that point you throw the ball out there and you see what happens. May the best team win. Bruce, that's phenomenal. I study coaches for a living. That's all I do. I don't, you know, I'm at the best point of my life right now. I don't have to worry <laughs> about any W's and L's. I've coached over 3000 games, uh, but I study people like Pete Carroll and yourself and what makes them great. And you would be fun to play for. That's the thing. You know, you'd be fun to play for because my coach, there ain't no coach that sweats more than you, baby. You, you, you remind me of when, when I'll tell you a quick Bruce is where, uh, where I'm, I'm coaching against when I'm the Pistons, I'm coaching against the Lakers, Kareem, Magic, uh, Byron Scott, James Worthy, those guys. And I got Isaiah and Dumars and Rodman and all those guys. Fabulous. It's a finals game, but we're in the forum. 1989, and we come into this little locker room at the Forum. Game's over. We win the game. Chuck takes off his, you know, what you and I would call a $3,000 jacket, puts it up. He is soaked. He says to me, this is like an unbelievable game. He says, take off your jacket. I take off my jacket. He puts his hand under my armpit, dry as can be. He says, my friend, that's the difference between being a head coach and assistant coach. <laughs> Bruce, you're, you're a superstar, buddy. I am so happy for you, and I really I know our coaches appreciate the time and the education you give them. You are absolutely the best, my friend. Well, we, 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 we did a half a segment today. Let's, let's, I'm committed to doing a half a segment again as we get closer to the season, Coach, because um, what you're doing uh, in your service to our coaches and, and leaders – uh, it's important, and um, you know, you know, you had a, uh, you had some great teachers. You're a great teacher yourself, and um, and, and 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 I'm trying to become a great teacher, and so I'm very happy to share. Well, thank. Uh, God bless you, Coach, for what you're doing. Appreciate it, Bruce. Thank you, brother. All the best. I, I told you, Bruce was uh, incredible. The tips he gave his. What makes him uh, so so good is the way he connects to his players and. If you ever get a chance to see him in person, to watch him, he's one of the really great teachers that we have in the game. Uh, What we're going to share with you now are, uh, for all those people that have signed up for our coaching program from back in November, December uh, through now, they get access to our VIP coaching call each week on Wednesdays usually, uh, where they get to ask the questions and I answer them for them. So this is a bonus that we're allowing you to have that they have already paid for. So if you want to sign up, go to coachingyoulive.com. And also you be part of it for our last several episodes before we go July 9 and 10. So enjoy this episode number eight from last week. This is Brendan Sir with our Coaching You Live episode number eight. Um, excited again uh, to get an opportunity to share some ideas with you and answer some of your questions so that you can grow with a coach and I'm really pleased at the way this has taken off. I talked to a couple people that signed up this weekend and uh, I asked them why now and they said uh, they were a little upset that they hadn't done it earlier because they really wish they could have had the other seven calls. So uh, better late than never and we have several more to go till uh, the beginning of July. So I uh, just want to go to Chris. Uh, wh- what are your takes on the Rockets' performance in Game 6 and 7 without 
CP3. Would you have done anything differently as a coach? Now, uh, easiest thing to do is to be a Monday morning quarterback and to say what I would have done. Uh, I have, I've coached uh, many, many times in the uh, Eastern Conference Finals and twice in the NBA Finals. And so uh, every decision you make as a coach is 50-50. But when you lose a star, uh, you know, arguably your best or second best player in Chris Paul, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're just really in major, major problems. And so the, the, two things. They, they, they got a fantastic lead in Golden State. They came out ready to play. And then they came out ready to play uh, at home in Game 7. That's an indication of the coaching staff and the players being ready to go. Uh, but the talent on the opposition is so dramatic. As I said in our newsletter the other day, uh, when you have a third of the Western Conference, the best conference, a third of the All-Star team is on the Golden State Warriors. That is absolutely amazing. Uh, so that is what they're going against. And a guy like D'Antoni and Steve Kerr that is arguably, you know, the best, second, third best coach in the league and has been to the finals every year he's been a coach. So that that's what you're going against. And for them to have what I thought were two of the best second halves that uh, I've seen at this high caliber basketball is absolutely amazing. So the only thing, and, and this is not at all to be a second guesser, the only thing that I thought about it, and I always try to watch games and say, what would I have done differently? And it's the same as I would tell you about Brad Stevens. Um, when I see that I'm not making my three-point shots, I probably would have said to our guys, hey, listen, let's only take the three-point shots that come to us that are wide open. Let's really emphasize driving the ball to the basket, taking the ball to the basket, getting them in foul trouble, and getting our rhythm back. And that would be the only thing. And that's not being critical. That's not second-guessing. That's the only thing, if you ask me, what could you do differently? But, I, I, you know, I always say, and one of the things I learned in coaching is that at any level in any sport, Every decision you make as a coach, it's 50-50 whether it's going to work. I wish I could tell you it's 90-10. It's not. It's the best is 50-50. So every sub you make, every every this, this you know idea you have on what to run on offense, what to do on defense, if you're the best in the business, it's only 50-50. And I felt very bad for uh, the Rockets as an organization, as a team. I like the people that run that organization, the people that own the team. And I really like Mike D'Antoni and Jeff Bezdelic. Guys on that staff are fabulous. Uh, and a guy like uh, Harden and CP3, the guys that worked their whole career to be in the finals. I felt very badly for them because they earned it this year. And unfortunately, injuries came at the wrong time for him. And uh, really difficult. And it's one that's going to stick with him. Uh, you know, the thing about this, is when you lose in games of this importance, you never forget it. Five, 10, 20 years from now, this this opportunity that they had within grasp, them and the Celtics, it'll come back to haunt. And it's just one of those things. But a great question, Chris. I appreciate it. All right, our friend James uh, sent in a question. Uh, with switching becoming more prevalent on defense, what are some ways to attack that offensively? Uh, I've, you know, we've just, uh, you know, been overcome by switching as the way to defend pick and roll basketball. It's almost become exclusively the only way to play it in the NBA now. 
uh, and a far cry from what it had been before, what it had been, you know, we had seen in previous years that when the ball got on the side, we ice it and we force it down the sideline. We still see that uh, to take you away from not having to deal with switching. Uh, we also see, you know, had seen teams that would hedge, uh, you know, a pick and roll on some guys. And, you know, every now and then we push up on a screen and go under it. And switching was really a last resort because NBA has consistently been a league that if you had a mismatch, they were going to burn you. But what happened was that when teams playing positionless basketball and a lot of small players and every team playing a stretch four, you always had four shooters on the court. And so when you would set a pick with your four man that could pick and pop, what was happening uh, is that you were, or if you use your five man to set a pick and dove him to the rim, Someone had to come and pick him up. Therefore, you were leaving a great shooter wide open in the corner. And so that's what I think, uh, you know, we had this. They're saying, you can beat us, but you're not going to beat us with a jump shot, an open jump shot. So uh, uh, I've been kind of amazed by it. Uh, We're getting mismatches. Uh, So what you're seeing teams do is a couple of things. We're seeing uh, two things happen. We're seeing teams intentionally uh, put their big man in a pick and roll so that they will have their big man now switch on to the ball handling guard. Uh, So if it's Houston, we had Harden going against Kevon Looney, let's say, or, you know, the kid from Oregon, Bell. And so we had these matchups going the whole time. And, you know, what they were trying to do was to get you in situations. So what you were seeing was isolation basketball. That's not used in basketball. It's became used in basketball because of switching, because no one was open. But what they were doing, they were isolating against a mismatch. So there's two things I think that you can do as a coach to take advantage of this. Number one, you can slip the pick and roll. And by that, I mean you run towards the guy you're going to set a pick for, and just before you get there, you sprint either out for a jump shot or to the rim. And you do that before the pick is set because teams are taught to switch on contact, to switch when that you actually come off that screen. But if you go early, did a switch actually happen? Should it have happened? And so what happens is if you want to have two players, the player guarding the ball and the player guarding the guy that's slipping, both go with that player and leave the dribbler wide open. Or both players stay with the dribbler, and then the slip guy is wide open. That is one thing. If we get the mismatch that we're desiring, we want the big uh, player switching onto the smaller guard, then what we believe in doing is what people uh, are doing now in the NBA is to isolate and now attack that player, that big player, and go one-on-one with him. Because it's uh you know it's like if uh, you know you do in practice where you have your guards play one on one against your centers, uh you know they're they're having a tough time stopping them because that's not what they're best at doing is you know moving their feet, so that those are the two things and that's why you're seeing a lot of that. But I think it's a trend that's going to stay here. I think in the finals, uh with Golden State and Cleveland, I said you know we had all four teams in the conference finals that switched, never seen that, it's never happened before. And I think we're going to see it happen throughout the finals, so it should be interesting. Uh, if Incadala comes back, it really changes things because uh, it really hurt not having him because he's an incredible 
talent, and he's their best defender, he and Draymond. I think Cleveland gets hurt more with switching because Tristan Thompson can move his feet really well. Jeff Green can, but Kevin Love against Steph Curry, uh, those are tough matchups. So I think you're going to see a lot of that kind of action where they'll put uh, Steph Curry. And at the same time, you'll see Ty Lu have uh, Steph Curry's man come and set a screen so that he has to guard LeBron. That is the toughest thing. That is really, really hard for him. So I love this part of the game. Uh, this is this is the X and O part. And I always say to you watching, what would you do? All right, great question, James. Uh, Lisa, uh, glad that you signed up again as a new sign-up. Uh, in Game 7 of the Western Conference Finals, we saw Steve Kerr play Clay Thompson early in the game when he had three fouls as a college coach. Where do I draw the line in a similar situation but with only five fouls for my players? I think it's one of the uh, most intriguing questions. I think uh, he got down about 13 to 15 points, uh, Steve, and I think he had no choice. I think he knew if that thing got to 20, it was over. And so I think he just said, I, I got to keep this thing in control. And with I think there were eight or nine minutes to go in the second quarter. He had no choice but to do that. And uh, that's one of those 50-50 decisions. Now here's the difference. Uh, college, two fouls, you're out, you're done for the half. No, I really don't think you can go any ifs, ands, or buts about it unless you're just, frankly, getting clobbered. And if you're getting clobbered, you're going to get clobbered anyway, so you might as well put the player back in if he's your best player and make sure the referees know that he has two fouls. Uh, what, the biggest difference, though, in the college and pro is the officiating. So NBA officials are very, very knowledgeable as far as they know how many fouls a guy has. And uh, I don't believe Clay even got his fifth foul in that game, if I'm not mistaken. So I think that's one of the things that they really do a good job. They're not cheating. They're aware. And the NBA players are pretty smart. And so I think that's one of the things. Uh, college officials, I think, you know, I don't trust them when you're on the road. Uh, I think a guy sometimes gets two fouls for that reason, so you have to sit him. And then all of a sudden, if you leave him in third and then the start a second half, there comes number four, and then you're done. So I don't like that. That's why I've been an advocate for college coaches to change the rule to six fouls because my understanding, uh, my belief at the collegiate level, uh, young people should be there to play, to participate in sports, not to sit and watch. And I don't think six fouls is unreasonable at all. I think uh, it would be a great, great addition to our game, six fouls. Uh, and, and the elimination of the worst rule offensively, I mean, uh, in basketball, is that a technical foul counts as a personal foul. Whoever thought of that has no idea what the hell they're doing. Okay, so that, that I mean, that, that just is no common sense. I actually heard someone say, well, we had to do that because a referee can't control the game. Well, shit, if you can't, if you can't <laughs> control a basketball game without issuing technical fouls and trying to get people out of the game, then you shouldn't be working a game. Uh, so I, I don't buy that at all. So I think those two things would really help it. And Lisa, you're 100% right. Uh, Steve rolled the dice, and it worked out for him. Uh, great question, though. Ben, uh, you had a question about our delay offense. So uh, we, we've done some 
we've done some teaching on our plays of the week about some of the delay. Delay is one of the newer things that's come into pro basketball in the last three years or so, uh, where as early offense, we used to really come down and focus on uh, rim running, getting your first big down, sprinting to the rim. Uh, then this, your second big came down and he either, you know, rever- you reversed the ball to them or you uh, had them set a drag screen. Okay, uh, and I think what happened was we got to a point where the defense were trying to play a little quicker, but also without uh, setting up to attack the excellent set defenses in the NBA. So a terminology called delay, and, and we mean the delay fast break. And by that, really it should almost be called open because on the delay, you're – pretty much your last big down the floor. He runs as a trailer to the top of the key beyond the three-point line. And he's there to reverse the ball. Your two, first two guys down the court, you're, let's say, you're, for instance, you're two and three there in each respected corner. The one man brings the ball down whatever side, and your opposite uh, big, let's say your four-man, that player would be in the opposite what we call slot position or high left wing if I'm bringing the ball down the right side. And now you can see that there's no one in the post area. And that's why I believe it should be called open as opposed to delay. And, and, and now it's really a read and react offense. We're now going to read how the defense plays, and then we go from there. So really we're just going to play out of it. And the whole purpose of this was to basically create, for three-point shooting, four round one offense. By that we mean one player possibly setting a pick and three, four other players, the player with the ball and the other three players spaced out behind the three-point line. And this would open up rolls to the basket for layups, but also would open up three-point shots if anyone rotated to the guy that was rolling to the basket. So if you can picture coming down the court and reversing the ball to the top to the big man, on both sides of the court, we read and react. On Let's say, for instance, on uh, the side that the ball was passed from, that player can either screen down for the player in the corner or the player in the corner can come up and set a flare screen for the player to pass the ball. And the same action can occur on the weak side. You can screen down for the player in the corner or you can come up and set a rip screen or fl- flare screen for the big man to cut. And from there, we play. And we play pick and roll. If a big passes to a small, we play pick and roll. If a big dribbles at a small, then you have nice dribble handoff action. And there's some really good designs that have come out of this. And I think it's something that you should really take a look at. Houston's done a good job. New Orleans has done a phenomenal job of it because they really had not only Antonio, Anthony Davis, but they also had Mark and DeMarcus Cousins, and the two of them were able to play at the same time because they can both shoot the ball. But it really was outstanding when they had AD as the only big because they had added Miritich who can flat out shoot the ball, a real stretch for. Uh, so it really became a great offense for them, and they ran as well as anyone. Golden State runs variations of it, uh, and and I think you're going to see, but you're going to see a lot of switching. Uh, with this defense, but switching opens up 
opportunities with the screener always slipping to the basket. So if you set a flare screen uh, for someone as they switch, the back the person sets the back screen, the flare screen slips to the basket. If you're screening down for the guy in the corner, once you screen, you slip to the basket. So there's some really good opportunities, and you're really getting guys to learn how to play. I think it's a trend that we're going to see, and I think you can do it at all levels. I know uh, in two weeks when I go to the top 100 camp, I'm going to actually teach this to the top 100 high school players in the country and you know, get, expose them to this as we try to expose them to NBA concepts. So I think it will be pretty cool. Uh, good question, Ben. Daniel uh, sent a, a terrific question. Uh, any tips for off-season training at the college level? Uh, recently, our rules have been changed uh, and are allowed more time with our team. Now it's four hours per week as opposed to two. However, I'm afraid I will overwork them physically and burn them out mentally. Any thoughts? I totally agree with you, Daniel. I think uh, one of the biggest things that we're doing as college coaches is we are overtraining. Um, and we do it because we're supposed to do it, we think. And I think there's a real science to training. Uh, and I there's when you're given four hours a week, there's a lot of things you can do with it. And uh, you can go in, into the gym and just work on shooting, for instance. Shooting. One of the great lost arts. You can go in and you can teach players how to cut and play. You can te- you know, you can have one-on-one sessions, which I really encourage. There's no better time of player development coaching than if one coach works with one player. Oh, sure, it's not as easy. It takes more time. You know, we might have to actually, you know, come out of our office several times a day rather than once to go to practice, you know, God forbid. Uh, so I think, it, though, that is the key. You must change uh, and and vary up your thing. Remember, young people, as, as well as others, get bored by doing the same thing. Uh, I've watched some coaches and I've talked to coaches that basically their whole off season are doing roughly the same thing. Very bad idea. Um, you know, you must vary your teaching, but there's a lot of things to do. Uh, the rules in this sense have changed. Uh, there's college coaches. I know that a don't even like Bob McKillop, I believe at Davidson, his players, they're beautiful, small academic school. They don't have summer school. So their players aren't there all summer. So he's not working with his guys. I believe Mark Few uh, does not work with his players all summer. Hasn't hurt either program, (laughs) to be honest with you. So there's a lot of ways of doing it. In the NBA, if you lost in the first round or or did not make the playoffs and you were done on April 11th or 12th, uh, you're not allowed to get back officially with your team to practice till the end of September. Uh, you You know, I think there's different ways of doing things. Uh, but it doesn't have to be uh, precisely uh, by the book as a team four hours per week. You know, try some different things. Keep it interesting for them, and I think you'll get good results. And our last question, Damian uh, coaches high school girls. He has a player who's his hardest worker, natural leadership quality, straight-A student, very good kid, tough upbringing. She's a player that I get constantly get compliments for her tough-as-nails in-game work ethic. Basketball basketball becomes really easy for her with hardly any additional practice hours other than our normal time slot. How would you motivate the player to lead by example and go the extra mile? She doesn't stay after practice like others. 
you know, do? What would you do? Um, well, the fir- the first thing I would do is, you know, to really take that next step, Damien, in coaching with her. Uh, what I would do is you have to have a relationship with every one of your players. So I would make sure that I, I developed a relationship with her. And then when I really felt that, and that she knew that how much I cared about her and how much I was there to help her, then my conversation with her would be more like, you have so much talent, you have a chance to be so good. Here's what you need to do. And here's what we can do together to help you get there. And so it would be a one-on-one conversation trying to do that. And, you know, that that's my best advice because uh, if you can't reach players through one-on-one compliance, what I call compliant coaching, force coaching, mandatory coaching will not work. She might be there in body only, but you want her there really with her mind and heart. So I think it's that one-on-one coaching to convince her how special she is and how she, you know, by her doing some things, let's say leadership wise or being in the gym more, how it will affect the team in such a profound way because they look up to her. So that's, that's the approach that I would use with her, but I'm anxious to find out, uh, you know, either by coaching you or by the end of the summer, how this works for you, Damon. Listen, this, these are great calls and this is, uh, this is what this is all about. And I think that, you know, one of the things that our intent was uh, having Q&A is for you to be able to ask questions that you want answers to. And I'm thrilled to give them to you. Till next week, this is the coach, Brendan Sarah.